welcome to Retail Therapy, a Rethink Retail exclusive podcast series where we examine a retailer facing a huge challenge and provide them with actionable steps to revive, revitalize, or rebrand them back from oblivion. In this week's episode, we'll be looking at a category killer and former strip mall superstar now struggling under the crush of even bigger box stores. Yep, you guessed it. We're talking about Bed Bath and Beyond. Checking in for today's session are this week's retail therapists, Rick Watson and Brandon Rail. Rick Watson is the founder and CEO of RMW Commerce Consulting, a boutique strategic e-commerce consultancy based in New York City, which he founded after spending decades as a technology entrepreneur and operator with companies like Channel Advisor, Barnes & Noble, Mercantry, and Pitney Bowes. Brandon Rail is a trusted advisor with significant strategy, operational improvement, profit optimization, technology, and organizational change experience across the retail, wholesale, and consumer industries, as well as a strategy and operations leader at Capgemini Invent. Brandon and Rick are also two of Rethink Retail's top retail influencers. Rick, Brandon, thanks so much for joining the show today. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, so, so happy to be here. Thanks, Gabriel. Thanks for the opportunity. Well, it's great to have you both here on the show with me today. And before we get started with today's session, let's first take a look at our patient's history. Bed Bath & Beyond was founded in 1971 as simply Bed & Bath by Warren Eisenberg and Leonard Feinstein. The company later expanded into offering more housewares and added Beyond to its name in 1987. In its early years, Bed Bath & Beyond demonstrated a fast and steady rise to the top of house and home, becoming a category killer and outlasting competitors such as fellow home goods store Linens & Things. After going public in 1992, Bed Bath & Beyond took on an aggressive growth strategy as it expanded from 241 stores in the beginning of 2000 to more than 1,550 stores by 2018. Known for its floor-to-ceiling shelves of products, the store was home to a vast and diverse selection of inventory and great customer service. What's more, Bed Bath & Beyond had a unique business strategy. It didn't rely on a team of buyers to fill the store. Instead, store managers did much of the purchasing themselves, which allowed each store to tailor its selection to local markets. But things started to take a turn in the mid-2000s when e-commerce giants like Amazon and Wayfair came onto the scene, and a string of confusing and expensive acquisitions signaled trouble for the retailer. By 2018, sales at Bed Bath & Beyond started falling after 28 years of gains, and in 2019, the company experienced a massive net loss of $137 million. Unfortunately, those losses were exacerbated by the COVID-19 pandemic in 2020, when consumers quickly shifted their purchase habits to digital and omnichannel. To get things back on track, the retailer invoked the help of former Target exec Mark Triton, who attempted to install a similar playbook that brought Target success primarily through the rollout of nearly two dozen private label brands, many of which have since been discontinued. 
As it turned out, Bed Bath & Beyond shoppers weren't looking for another Target. And Target shoppers weren't looking for, quite frankly, anything that Bed Bath & Beyond had to offer either. Which brings us to today's session. As we just heard, Bed Bath & Beyond certainly has a storied history in American retail. So I'd like to kind of kick off today's discussion by just really diving into some of the factors that have led to Bed Bath & Beyond's current condition and kind of actually getting your take on what that condition currently even is. So Brandon, I'll have you answer first. Thank you. Thank you, Gabriella. I think when you look at Bed Bath & Beyond, it's an interesting uh, scenario as they've undergone a pretty significant transformation plan over the last couple of years. They had brought in Mark Trenton as the CEO, who was once uh, one of the leaders at Target. And he, essentially back in 2019, he was uh, really responsible for transforming the whole Bed Beyond operating model and, and really enhance the business, become more on the always. So really the four pillars that they had at the time was one, to rationalize the store footprint, which meant uh, significant store closures and looking at things, uh, which stores are, are not profitable, which ones were not uh, up to the right standards. They divested certain businesses like Christmas tree shops and others. They had an omni-always approach, which is digital first, which is something that they were not known for before that. Uh, mm -hmm. The plan was to modernize the stores, cleaner, wider aisles, become omni-channel capable with focus and curbside pickup. And I think the last piece was really the, uh, they enhanced the merchandising strategies, which including everything against the Beth Beyond model of curing the assortments down to a minimum, increasing their private labels, which Target does quite well, and a less is more approach. And unfortunately, that, that transformation plan didn't really reap the benefits they were expecting and uh, at the rate they were expecting. Then COVID hit, which uh, really decelerated the growth and really put them in a, uh, a challenging situation where uh, these four pillars that we just identified didn't, didn't really reach uh, the customer, the core customer they built over the last few decades. And at the same time, too, they were unable to connect with the Gen Z and millennial customers as they have so many more opportunities and uh, competitors to shop at Walmart, Target, and Amazon. And the universe has changed quite a bit since Better Beyond will be uh, uh, the world. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a few different things we can kind of branch off from what you just said there. I mean, you know, bringing in the private labels, which certainly worked for Target. I think part of the the challenge that Bed Bath & Beyond saw with private labels is I think they introduced, they introduced a ton, like super fast. I think it was yeah. like 10 within 18 months, brand new brands. And it's, I think, probably extremely hard to, to build a brand that actually resonates with people, people can connect to, that has an identity in as little as, as 18 months and to do 10 of them and introduce them to the market, I think is significantly challenging. You also mentioned, you know, uh, Gen Z and millennials, like we'll get into that, you know, selling off the Christmas tree shops, which I definitely want to get into that as well, because Bed Bath & Beyond is kind of known for their um, maybe non-methodical approach to acquisitions. They've acquired a uh, quite a few different companies throughout the years, some of which um, are a little bit, you know, maybe head scratchers. We also know that some of the companies like Bye Bye Baby, I know there was the uh, Chef Central as well, which were both companies owned mm -hmm. by the founder's children. So maybe something we can get into uh, a little bit later as well. But 
I think all solid points. Rick, I'll have you follow up with that same question. Yeah, I think the Bed Bath, it's almost like it didn't really have a chance. Look, to be the CEO a year before COVID, I don't, I don't care who you are. If, if you're a CEO involved in a transformation of a legacy brand, there's about a 25% chance that you're going to succeed. That, that, those are just the baseline numbers. The odds are stacked against you just because of the history and the legacy. And you're usually working with both arms tied behind your back and like a chain attached to one leg. I mean, that's just the reality of any kind of transformation. I'm sure Brandon is very well aware. And so you need to recruit a great management team, which Mark, I, I believe, did. I mean, I would say across the industry, you know, even his management team was referred to as the retail Avengers almost. And and I heard that term more than once. So my background is not as much on the omni-channel side as, as Brandon is. So I, I can't speak to every one of us there, but I, I'll, I'll take it as a given that it's not necessarily a man, a man, an issue with the management team. I think, to me, the strategy as written, which Brandon outlined very well, those four points, it's the wrong focus. It's not that they're doing the wrong things, but I think they're, they don't understand who they're serving. And I think Bed Bath & Beyond was created and built I mean, the reality is it's before the age of the internet. Yep. And so my, my core question is very simple. And I'm, sa- I'm not saying I have the answer, but I don't think Mark even tried to answer it. And that's where I think the first failure was. In the age of Amazon, Walmart, and Target, all three of which you can buy Bed Bath & Beyond items at, why does Bed Bath & Beyond need to exist? Who are we serving? And so you can do all the four things well for the wrong consumer and fail spectacularly, which I think is exactly what happened. So to me, that's the baseline that I come with uh, to the discussion. Um, and I, I really believe that that's um, uh, kind of the beginning and the end of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point. You know, in the age of Amazon, Walmart, and Target, you know, how are you going to differentiate yourself from those those key players? And you know, a big thing too that I've I've noticed is that the majority of Bed Bath and Beyond stores are located in extremely close proximity to a Target location, which I think is a huge challenge that they're facing as well. You just mentioned, Rick, they don't really know who they're serving. And I don't think that was always the case with Bed Bath & Beyond. You know, like back in the day, they were known for having, you know, the inventory that was staffed all the way up to the ceiling, which, of course, some people would say makes for uh, overwhelming or kind of like claustrophobic um, (laughs) shopping experience, depending on who you ask. But that inventory was brought in, you know, by local managers. And so it was a lot of like localized inventory and local managers knew, you know, what people wanted in their stores. You know, if they knew if people were going to want to buy, um, you know, flannel sheets up in, you know, the northern states during the winter, as opposed to like, you know, maybe lighter sheets in the south. Or I know it just doesn't take a rocket scientist to, you know, <laughs> figure out that people in the northern states would want flannel sheets. However, 
I think there was a more localized approach to inventory selection, which I don't know if they're really, you know, utilizing that strategy as much um, anymore. I want to get your guys' take, though. So I know that there have been some changes to some of the stores, at least, to the store experience, um, store design, store layout. What's your guys' take on on the current, you know, in-store Bed Bath & Beyond experience? I I can jump in. I think it's improved incrementally. And I think it's, uh, it's the standards to get to the modern customer experiences, widen the aisles, the less is more approach and uh, curate the experience and make it more uh, centered around the customer. Mm-hmm. So in that respect, you know, they've optimized the experience. But again, back to Rick's core, core question is, what's the reason for existence and how do you mm-hmm. eat and survive and thrive in a market that's dominated by Walmart and Target with mm-hmm. a physical store, at least in Amazon? And uh, with that sense of purpose in mind, how do you attract new customers or retain the ones you have uh, to get into the store? And it will take uh, interesting strategies and a a mix of digital, physical approaches to get them to your store. And uh, I think part of the challenge they've done is they they stripped down the stores of all the promotional signs, Mm -hmm. Uh, the 20% off coupons uh, has disappeared and come back. So that that market Mm -hmm. is, sorry, that was no longer... A value proposition for the, for the customer that was really a core requirement of the customer because they want that coupon. If that sense of purpose to go to a bath of the on, I can definitely save twenty percent off and and uh, at least have that in my pocket as they go to the store. So it, there is definitely some uh, mixed results, but it's uh, it's what's required to get these uh, stores that are really uh, the model what retail used to be twenty five thirty years ago, mm-hmm. where they have walling out products and uh, and really and now it's now in a, in the world of digital and seamlessness people expect a like, friction-free experience to go to the store and they're okay mm-hmm. with not having the product in the store as long as you get it shipped to their house yeah mm-hmm. yeah I, I think i agree with that. I, I think this look the stores are fine there's nothing wrong with it and kind of look at it like if i could pick one thing like what's wrong with bed bath and beyond's approach and to me my answer to that question is very simple brian cornell like brian is had a head seven year head start on mark and if if Target had fumbled, I, I think along the way, then Bed Bath and Beyond could have had a chance. They didn't, and Target is an amazing retailer with a tremendous management team, and they're not going to you know they've had some struggles this year with inventory and selection and whatever, but so is everyone, and I don't think there was anything fundamentally wrong with that business, uh, and I think. A lot of business, sometimes business is about opportunity and timing. Uh, and that doesn't always have to do with what's, what's happening in your four walls. Um, you know, even Amazon building its business had to, ben- like, had to benefit from other companies doing dumb things like Barnes and Noble not investing. I'm just using examples. Barnes and Noble not investing in digital technology for eight years. Uh, right. You know, Microsoft not investing in cloud computing for six years. Mm-hmm. Uh, Toys R Us. And Target's handing over their business to Amazon. Like, right. There are three or four events in Amazon histories which were game changers for the firm. And I think Bed Bath & Beyond just never had one of those. In fact, they had you know, the worst retail event in the last 100 years occur, uh, which is COVID. So uh, he was not playing with a uh, deck of cards here. 
I mean, but they were facing challenges well before COVID. I mean, 2018 was when they started to mark that, you know, sales started falling after like 28 years of positive gains. So, you know, to your point, Rick, like they were already struggling before the pandemic yes. with, you know, for all of those reasons that you mentioned. And I think the pandemic was just kind of like the cherry on top, you know, of, of them having such a kind of like a a clunky um, user experience when it comes to you know, digital and not really having the infrastructure put in place to go digital as, as fast as they needed to. But I did want to talk about, so the coupon, you know, Bed Bath & Beyond, they've said that they've gotten you know better ROI with, with the coupon and the coupon is iconic. And, you know, do you, do you guys think that the coupon is really the only thing that is keeping people kind of coming back to Bed Bath & Beyond because, you know, the only retailer that I, I really know besides Bed Bath & Beyond that's known for their coupons um, is Kohl's. And I think that's probably an entirely separate retail therapy session. But, you know, mm -hmm. what, what are your guys' thoughts on the coupon? And, you know, would they be able to survive without it? I, I think I can. I, I think it's uh, the age of uh, data analytics and personalization. Uh, loyalty, really, the, the expectation on loyalty is not the physical coupon anymore. Rather, what's in it for me as a customer? What what exclusive offers do you have? What right. pricing and uh, deals do you have for me? And and that's served usually in a, you know, through the native apps or through social media mm -hmm. uh, or through emails. And the physical coupon may resonate with uh, with boomers and older generations who are used to that model of clipping coupons that go in the stores, but the, mm -hmm. the emerging customers, especially Gen Z, are not clipping fiscal coupons. They're not using that as an incentive to go to the store. Rather, they expect the retailer to know them and their personalized needs and expectations and come to them with exclusive offers mm -hmm. that rest them. And it, the, the coupon cat is this all well, all encompassing thing that makes you want to go to a bit of beyond. It has to be mm -hmm. a lot more uh, available in terms of experience, in terms of product and quality that make you want to go to the beyond versus a target or Walmart mm -hmm. or Amazon. Yeah. You know, you mentioned pricing and I, I went to my local Bed Bath & Beyond store about a week ago. And that was one thing that really stood out to me was the pricing. So pricing seemed really off. Um, and I was looking at bathroom garbage cans, and I saw that some of them were, you know, eight, nine, ten dollars, and they had been marked down from forty-five. And these were like nice, heavy-duty, kind of concrete mini garbage cans. But then right next to them were comparable cans that were fifty dollars, marked down from ninety dollars. And then I'd also seen a stone lotion dispenser, a lotion dispenser, like, you know, a little like top, like pump on the top for $75. So that to me, as, as a consumer, as a shopper, is very confusing. What, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I, I think, look, I think you're right on. I mean, to me, some of these businesses are, they need to be transformed. And they need to look like other retailers. But the problem is the existing customers that are left, if you kind of go back, I was just looking at some of the numbers for Bed Bath & Beyond. If you kind of go back to 2013, 2014, kind of the heyday of Bed Bath & Beyond, uh, 2011, they had 9.9% .9 net profit. And if you look like over the next seven, seven eight years, it's cratered down to 2%, you know, profit margin. So the 
that's the customers that are left. The people, I mean, I had personally had friends that you're talking about discounting. They had receipts from eight years ago and they're going to return a product that's eight years old that they, wow. you know, because they had this lifetime return policy and they were just getting killed. I mean, this is before Mark too, but, but that's the customer that was left. It's this very discount focused customer. I had friends in Manhattan that signed up for the program because they were 25% off and, you know, they're not making any money off them. So you, you need to attract new customers. And I think there was no plan for that. Really. There was plan for, we're going to delight the existing customers. I'm like, well, the existing customers don't want you to delight them. They just want a discount. Mm-hmm. And so you get into a JCPenney type situation where you need to fundamentally change the mix of who's walking in the door before you change the strategy. Or at the same time, there needs to be like extremely con- concerted marketing efforts, not just, uh, you know, I, I think to do that, and I think there's a huge, I still think there's a huge missed opportunity uh, with, with Bye Bye Baby, and we'll talk about, you know, talk about that later on, but. Yeah, absolutely. You know, let's get into that then a little bit. Let's get into some of these acquisitions. Bye Bye Baby, who else? Cost Plus World Market, I think, was is another one, right? Um, Harman, Harman so Face Values. Harman's, you know, what? acquisitions do you think made sense which ones were just kind of a little bit of a head scratcher i think the uh the challenge has been with beyond is they took the beyond way too beyond that they need to be you a little know, too literal yeah so uh yeah their their focus and their their strength was always their household items their bedding their sheets of towels and all the products that are associated with that and then they extended to categories where they didn't have that uh strength and capabilities and market dominance and uh, perhaps buy the baby makes the most sense because mm-hmm. it's like kind of all in one shop for the for the the young families who need uh, baby products and everything else. But uh, definitely question uh, the the acquisitions of Harman as well as uh, Christmas tree shops, just a kind of a tertiary businesses. I'm not really calling it core business model, and we've seen we've seen the mixed results of that uh, clearly. So um, I think uh, acquisitions needs to be done very strategically with the the core customer in mind and is it going to enhance or complement your existing business or is it going to confuse the customers being further mm-hmm. and uh they did sell off the christmas tree shops or is that still I believe so they did uh, okay it was funny i was just in bed bath and beyond and it was on cyber monday and the store was completely dead there was maybe <laughs> one other shopper inside and I had asked um, one of the employees, I was like, you know, so how was how was Thanksgiving weekend? How was Black Friday? How was it? And she's like, you know, it really wasn't as, as busy as I thought it was going to be. She's like, we did have a lot of ship from store orders. But she's like, really? Like, it's too many people walking in. And I was just like, wow, busiest weekend of the year. And you did not seem stressed at all. Um, but one thing I, I, I did notice was not there were there were no holiday displays in the store whatsoever. And it could have just been my my local store. But, you know, for a, a company that once owned the Christmas tree shops, I was a little uh, a little surprised that there were no um, you know holiday displays or trees or uh, or anything um, in the store whatsoever. I, I just found a little a uh, little befuddling um, for a Christmas store. Yeah. <laughs> 
Right. Well, we've kind of run through some of the, the factors that have led to Bed Bath & Beyond's current condition, but I want to hear from you guys a little bit about, you know, if you could kind of prescribe a remedy for Bed Bath & Beyond, what strategies, what initiatives would you have them put in place to try to kind of turn this ship around? Uh, I, 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 I think there's, like, first of all, some question if it's salvageable at this stage. Um, so I, I think that's the starting point. I think if you're going to pick a direction, you need to pick a strong, growing demographic that has uh, good margins. And so I think, I almost think you need to combine, like, Bye Bye Baby needs to add more home items and kind of the opposite. You know, it's like So it's almost like these could become one company, Bed Bath & Beyond subsumes the Bye Bye Baby brand. And you pick a, a core demographic of like young parents and you redesign everything around this demographic, bring in new merchandise. And so your differentiation from Target to Walmart immediately becomes apparent. And where those folks have to become wide department stores that cater to everyone and anyone, you know, Bad Bath & Beyond is, would maybe be able to focus specifically on a growing profitable niche that could cut the legs out from all this, some of these other brands. And I think with, I mean, I don't know a ton about the Harmon business, but being in New York City, I've definitely notice it kind of feels more like a dollar format mm -hmm. so to, to me either that works or it doesn't so if it's working why don't they have you know ten thousand dollar stores you know like Harmon's around the country if that format works if it doesn't work they should probably shut it down i'm sure it's not like extremely material but um kind of going back to what i said in the intro to me it's more more than anything it's about who you focus on, and then that will determine your assortment and what products they need to see and the experience they want in the store. So if you're bringing in new brands that like uh, a young family wants to see, then that's a different thing. And, and again, it doesn't have to be that. It could be a different demographic, but it needs to be extremely clear uh, what, why you walk in the store. Yeah, to add to your points, uh, Rick, it's really the the reason for existence in the, in the modern age, the digital age, the age of social media, what is the, the purpose? What is the reason for existence? And why would I go to a bed beyond or is it a Target or Walmart or Amazon? Where can, the convenience is there, the personalization is there, the seamlessness is there, and you have a you have the option of going to stores or buy online. But in, in terms of why would I go to bed beyond, it's it's a how do you attract? How do you gain the attention of a, of a attention? deficit kind of society where uh, you only have a limited window to get their attention and time and you have to go where these customers are they're not always going to physical stores initially they may be going to TikTok or Instagram mm -hmm. or they're going to Twitter or whatever it may be Snapchat how do you go into that arena and how do you get their attention and time and change the narrative of what this brand may be for their parents or grandparents uh, back in the day where they were they were once the original disruptor we had everyday low values and 20% off, but beyond that value proposition, why would I ever go there if I'm a Gen Z or millennial uh, to, I can shop in other companies and stores that know me well enough. And I'm, I'm very satisfied with those experiences. So 
uh, that's a challenge. It's really how do you center all your strategies on a customer first approach, take away all the transformation points I outlined earlier, but make it customer first, customer centric, build your mission around that. And then you can, you know, really define your and justify your existence, a reason for existence. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it seems to be like a common, a common theme that we're hearing so far on uh, retail therapy is, you know, figuring out why a customer would want to choose you over Amazon, Target, or Walmart. I would also say in this case, uh, home goods as well. But it seems like such a, a simple statement to say and to, to, to understand, but I definitely think it rings true. Rick, I think I do think your idea of kind of combining Bed Bath and Beyond and Bye Bye Baby, Bed Bath and Baby, maybe <laughs> figuring out a whole name altogether. Um, that's a little more modern, but I, I do think that is a smart approach. There really isn't a, a kind of like go-to place for you know modern parents, new parents, families, people with little kids to go and and get all of their, you know, home needs as well as like children's needs, items for their kids and and whatnot that is uh, has like a modern experience, at least not, you know, uh, as, as a national chain. So will they take our advice? That <laughs> remains to be seen. Any uh, final closing statements uh, either of you would like to leave us with today? I, I do. I think um, lost in, in our mix of our constructive feedback or commentary about that beyond is the fact that there are very passionate, very dedicated professionals who work at that beyond their corporate offices and their stores. And we are truly rooting for companies to succeed in this very disrupted economy and environment. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think those companies face a significant amount of disruption, both externally from competition and the customers changing and the preferences are changing. And having it done quite a bit uh, organizationally to pivot to the modern world and the digital first world and uh, try to meet those new customers' needs. So I want to recognize the fact that there are you know, very talented, very passionate professionals who work there. We're trying to turn the business around. It's, uh, transformations are painful. Uh, they're never easy. Uh, they're extremely mm -hmm. disruptive to you know, people who work at the company that can be aligned. I think at this point, it's so, for up to the executives now uh, to really look at them themselves objectively and really try to rationalize the reason for existence and build all the strategies around attracting to Rick's point where that new generation of customer is or could be for them and, and really build the strategies around that versus trying to uh, cost, cost cut and rationalize mm -hmm. store prints and clean up their merchandising strategy. It starts with the customer as a customer. And that's uh, where we should uh, really start all the strategies around. But I'll pass over to Rick. I know you, you, I mean, you can do those strategies. I mean, you can apply Target's playbook for a company like Target that already has a good brand that had just sort of like forgotten who it was and it's becoming a little less elevated. And so, um, you know, that's why it's been so successful is sort of kind of the elevated partner of Walmart. And I think in an area where, you know, just the idea that you need a place with more selection. I agree. And I think the Bed Bath & Beyond's new strategy did recognize that we can't win on selection, which is why the rationalization makes sense. But I think they didn't change the focus, the consumer focus. It was still for like, okay, we have less products. There are higher prices for the same consumer. It's not a win. Like, forget the transformation. Don't transform. But that, fix that, <laughs> right? <laughs> As, as Brad and I, I know, are huge proponents of, technology is in service of the business, not the other way around. So 
you can have all all the great ERP system, you know, like ERP transformation and Omni experience and curbside and and whatever. But if you don't, if your value prop is flawed, then it doesn't matter because mm-hmm. it it does. I, I think another thing that they could consider because Bed Bath and Beyond is a pretty recognizable brand that's been around. It's like licensing. Like why they're in the U.S. and Canada? Like why aren't they in other countries around the world? I think there could be operators that could take this concept into other countries. And sure. the beautiful thing, like line expansion, there there are a lot of manufacturers. I think that'd be willing and collabs for celebrities to get attention from them mm-hmm. that they could license name around the world. The great thing about the licensing business is it may not be interesting to a retail transformation leader like mark but uh-huh. it's it's a lucrative business <laughs> you get licensing means you get money from doing nothing essentially um, yeah and and in retail retail is hard and reselling other people's products is hard and manufacturing your own product is hard you need an edge in retail now you need like service revenue you need Payments revenue, you need customization or bundling revenue. You need some kind of edge in retail to get that extra five points of margin that you need to exist anymore. Because the game of just buying at one price and selling it for a lower price because we bought in volume, you're not going to win that game. Walmart and Amazon are always going to be you. Yes. That is a little bit of a non positive note to talk about. But, <laughs> hey, it's not trying. <laughs> we, we are. T- but, uh, trying. you know, I'm totally. trying to try effectively. <laughs> yeah. You know, I do hope that they can turn it around to your point, Brandon, like these at the end of the day, these are, you know, people and great retail workers. And so, of course, you know, we want to see these people succeed and we want to see, um, you know, retail workers sustain their jobs and so we're definitely rooting for Bed Bath & Beyond to turn it around. Will they? Uh, we hope maybe they'll listen to this episode and uh, take some of our advice. Who knows? But um, I do want to thank both of you for joining the show today. It's been a pleasure having you on. Likewise. Thank you, Rick. And thank you, Gabrielle. Yeah, thanks, Brandon. And uh, thank you, Gabrielle, for having us on.